Okay, if you got your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9 is where we're going to start today. This is the last week in our sermon series on the humanity of Jesus. Uh, next week, we're going to be heading back to Revelation. We'll finish up that book uh, through the spring. And uh, Revelation, it's all about the glory and the power of Jesus at his second coming. It's about the divinity of Jesus. And uh, what we've been looking at over the past few weeks with this series called God Became is the first coming of Jesus, which is more about his humility and his lowliness. The second coming is about the divinity and power of Jesus. His first coming was more about his humanity and humility. We've seen how God took on flesh and he became a child and a learner and a worker and a friend. This week, we're going to see how God became an influencer. An influencer. I know what that word means now. I know the modern definition of an influencer is somebody who uses their status and their power to, to promote products so they can make money. Well, that's not how we're going to think of it today. Jesus uses his power and his status to give life, to bring life where there's just death and chaos and destruction. That's what Jesus does, and that's what true influence is all about. And according to the Bible, every single Christian is an influencer. If you follow Jesus, then Jesus has called you to influence the people around you. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So, a city on a hill, it's a city that people see. It's visible for miles. It's influential. The lights from that city at night go for miles and miles and miles. They can be seen all around. You can't miss it. Kind of like Kaimuki used to be. Our first office that we had was in Kaimuki, right on Wailai Avenue. We met in Kaimuki for nine years. We loved that neighborhood. And uh, our office was right across from Big City Diner, the original Big City Diner. And so as I got to know those folks, I got to know a little bit of the story behind the name of the restaurant. Turns out, back in the day, Kaimuki was the end of the city. Honolulu only went to Kaimuki. Beyond that, it was just farms. All of East Oahu, out that way, was all farms. And so all those farmers and their families would be sitting out on their front porch, their front lanai every night, looking at the lights. And, and the kids would say, Dad, Dad, what, what are those lights? And the dads would go, well, that's the big city out there. Kaimuki, that's what they would say. The big city. Because you couldn't miss it. From that side of the island, that's all you could see was these lights shining. And Jesus says, that's what you are. That's what you are. You are a city on a hill. And there's not even a question about it. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are an influencer. You're an influence in your home, in your family, in your neighborhood. You're an influence in your office, in your classroom, on your job site. You are an influencer. That's what Jesus has made you. So are you leaning into that identity, leaning into that role that Jesus has given you? When Jesus lived on earth, he pursued friendships and relationships all the time, but in those relationships, they didn't just chill, they didn't just hang out, there was purpose to his friendships. Jesus was pursuing spiritually significant relationships. 
So that's the question. How do we build spiritually significant relationships? How do we bring purpose to our friendships? How do we become influencers? Let's see how Jesus did it. We're looking at Matthew 9. We're going to start in verse 9. Matthew 9, 9 says this. As Jesus went on from there, he's just going about his ministry, traveling from place to place, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And while he was reclining at the table in the house, that's, that's Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. Look, look at how Jesus initiated relationships. Okay, he didn't just sit around and wait for people to come to him. How often do you just sit around and wait for other people to initiate friendship, relationship, connection? Man, Jesus was always pursuing relationships with all kinds of people, even tax collectors, people like tax collectors. Think about how you feel about tax collectors, all right? When you get a letter in the mail from the IRS, you get a letter from the Hawaii Department of Taxation, what happens? The hairs on the back of your neck go straight up, right? Like, oh no, what could this be? It can't be something good. We don't like tax collectors. We don't like them, but in first century Israel, it wasn't just like a dislike. They hated tax collectors, hated them. Because tax collectors were employees of the Roman Empire, uh, and here's how it worked. The, the Roman government would give them a license to set up a booth on a road or at a port, and they could charge a tax to anybody who passed by. The Romans, they allowed these guys even to charge whatever tax they decided on, whatever they felt like. Basically, whatever they could get away with, that's the tax that they charged. The thing was, the, the, the biggest chunk, the biggest cut out of that money that they took went to the Roman government. And then the biggest cut of that money went to the Roman army, the army that was occupying Israel, the army that might have killed your sister and her family just because they were at the wrong place at the wrong time, the army that might have crucified your uncle for no good reason. This is the army that was slaughtering the Jews, and the tax collectors were funding that. And the worst part was tax collectors, they were all Jews themselves. There are traitors who, who joined with the Romans just to make a few dollars. And so that's why everybody in Israel hated them. And you know that Jesus was tempted to feel the same way. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He had to be tempted to feel that way towards them. I mean, when he was growing up, I'm sure his dad grumbled about the tax collectors whenever they were going down a road and they had to give a, more, a couple more dollars to the tax collector there. I'm sure everybody in Jesus' hometown in Nazareth talked about tax collectors and taught, called them traitors and, and scum. I'm sure that's how Jesus was raised. But still, here he is. He's hanging out with them, hanging out with tax collectors. And not just tax collectors. What does it say? Tax collectors and sinners. Sinners. Now, maybe you've read Romans 3 and you're like, well, Aren't we all sinners? You know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Yes, that's absolutely true. But in those days, that term sinners, that was a, a, a specific phrase that they used to talk about a specific class of people. Prostitutes. 
tanners, shepherds, the lowlifes of society. That's who that referred to. It wasn't comfortable for Jesus to hang out with those people. It wasn't comfortable for anyone, any respectable person in that society to hang out with those kinds of people because it's a lot more comfortable to hang out with people like us, right? But Jesus initiated relationships with them. He made himself available to them. He's just hanging out at Matthew's house, building relationships with them. So, who are the tax collectors and sinners in your life? There's people you feel uncomfortable hanging out with. Might be people at your work, people at your school. Might even be people in your family. Are there some work events that you avoid? Are there family gatherings that you tried to get out of over the last couple weeks because there are people at those events, people at those places that you're kind of uncomfortable with? Well, guess what? That's how religious people operate. Religious people like the Pharisees. Keep going in verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? This is just blowing their minds. Why would anyone eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. It's really intriguing what he's doing here. He's not arguing with the Pharisees here. He's not going, no, 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 you've got them all wrong. They're not really that bad. Don't call them sinners. Let's just say they are challenged in certain areas of sin. No, Jesus doesn't say anything like that. He says, yeah, you're right. They're sinners. They're sick. These people are sick. But the good news is, I'm the doctor. And a doctor can't really do his job unless he's around sick people, right? Doctors, they're always around people who are coughing and sneezing. They're around people who are oozing nasty stuff out of ugly wounds. That's what doctors do. That's a reason for being. And so Jesus is saying, that's me. Doctors deal with messy people, and that's what I came to do. Jesus isn't afraid of messy people. He's not disgusted by messy people. He is actively pursuing relationships with messy people all the time. And here's the thing. It's not just tax collectors and prostitutes who are messy. It's not just the outcasts of society, not just convicted criminals who are messy. I've been in ministry for 25 years. Here's one thing I've learned. Everybody's messy, okay? Everybody's messy. It's just that some of us are better at hiding it than others. But eventually, the mess always comes out. Eventually, the mess comes out. So that guy at work who seems like he is just winning at life, great clothes, great car, climbing the corporate ladder, there's some kind of mess in his life right now. I can almost guarantee it. There might be some kind of mess in his family, some kind of dysfunction that nobody else knows about. That other mom on the soccer team who seems so put together. There's some kind of mess in her life. Maybe it's a mess in her beliefs. Like she, she subscribes to some wacko philosophy or, or she's got some weird political ideas that she secretly promotes. Who knows what it is, but there's some kind of mess. And eventually, 
if you are in relationship with that person, that mess is going to come out. And it's going to make you uncomfortable. It will. It'll make you uncomfortable like it made the Pharisees. Because Pharisees, they're just like every other religious person in the world. Religious people, they all believe the same thing. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish, Islamic, Buddhist, even a lot of Christians, they all believe the same thing. Here's what they believe. God likes good people. God likes good people. You know what Jesus says to that? Yeah, I like good people too. The problem is, I can't find any. I've I've been trying. I've been looking. I can't find any good people. And so that's why I came for the bad people, for the sick people. I came to build relationships with the messy people. So family, is that what you do? Is that what you do? I know it's a lot easier to just hang out with people who are like you, people who have the same beliefs as you, people who have the same morals as you, people who have the same pursuits and interests as you. And we learned last week, it's a really good thing to pursue relationships with fellow Christians. We need that. We need each other to to encourage each other, comfort each other, challenge each other. We need that. But here's the thing. If you don't have any friends in your life like Jesus' friends, then you probably don't value the same things that Jesus values. Probably not. I mean, Jesus was called a friend of sinners. Think about that. A friend of sinners. Here is the one person in history who never sinned once, and he's called a friend of sinners. If sinless Jesus could be a friend of sinners, why can't you? You're a sinner just like them. In fact, you might be worse. I know some non-Christians who are more, at least outwardly, moral and righteous than some of the Christians that I know. You're messy. You're messy. And so it should be pretty easy for you to deal with people who are messy. The only difference between you is that you've put your trust in Jesus to deal with your mess. You've put your trust in Jesus and his death on the cross to pay for your mess. You you trusted Jesus to remove your mess through his resurrection from the grave. You trusted Jesus to transform your mess through his loving reign. You've been given new life through Jesus Christ, and so now you've got the privilege of leading other people into the same kind of new life that you've experienced. So, how's that going to happen, family? How are we going to do that? How are we going to build spiritually significant relationships? How are we going to bring purpose to our friendships? How are we going to become true influencers like Jesus? Well, let's go back to the Proverbs one last time. We're going to see. We're going to go back because uh, we've been going back every week. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 10. In our study of the humanity of Jesus, we've been going to Proverbs every week because Proverbs is all about living everyday human life. Jesus learned how to live a wise and godly everyday human life by reading Proverbs. He would have read this passage right here growing up. So look at what it says in Proverbs 10, verse 9. Proverbs 10, 9 says this, The one who lives with integrity lives securely, but whoever perverts his ways will be found out. A sly wink of the eye causes grief, and foolish lips will be destroyed. 
The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all offenses. I love the image in there of a fountain of life. I love that. It's possible for you to be so filled with life that it just kind of bubbles up and overflows into the lives of the people around you. It's possible for you to be a source of life to the people around you. It's possible for you to be an influencer. And this passage showed us how. Here's how it happens. Number one, pursue integrity. Pursue integrity. Like it said in verse 9, the one who lives with integrity lives securely. The one who lives with integrity lives securely. God gives you integrity through Christ, through your justification and sanctification. He gives you the righteousness of Christ, which leads to practical righteousness in your everyday life. He gives you integrity. And then God gives you security in Christ through adoption and glorification. You have God's acceptance. You're part of his family, and so now you don't need to worry about anybody else's acceptance. You've got his love. God gives you integrity in Christ and security in Christ, and that's what leads to influence for Christ. That's how it works. Integrity leads to security, which leads to influence. First time I saw how that happens, uh, I was a freshman in college. I, uh, I made a bunch of new friends, and uh, all of them drank, except for me. Uh, I loved God, and I, I wanted to obey the authorities that God put above me, and they said underage kids can't drink, so I said, all right, I'm not going to drink. I, I was the only one out of, like, a dozen friends that I had. But I still, lots of weekends, I would go to parties with them just so I could hang out with them. And uh, for a couple months, they were always trying to get me to drink. But after a while, they finally figured out it just wasn't going to happen. So every time we'd go to a party, I'd have a couple cans of Dr. Pepper, and I'd just down those Dr. Peppers all night and uh, chill out with my friends, and then at the end of the night, help them stumble back to their dorm rooms. Until one night, one Friday night, I'm sitting there with a few of my friends, and one of them cracks open a beer and then sees somebody that he knows across the room. So he puts the beer down on the coffee table and leaves to go talk to that person. And as I'm looking there at that beer right in front of me, I'm going, what would one sip be? What, what difference would one sip make? So I reach out my hand and start to pick up the beer, and that's when I notice 12 heads swivel around and look straight at me. And then all of my friends start running towards me. They start yelling at me, put that beer down. What are you thinking? You don't drink. Put it down right now. These guys who are drunk out of their minds are convicting me, confronting me on my integrity. That's what was happening in that situation. You know why? You know why that happened? Because my friends knew that my integrity led to security. They saw that I didn't really care about what people thought of me. I knew what God thought about me. Integrity led to security, which led to influence. After that night, our conversations got a lot deeper with my friends. A few of them started coming to church with me. One of them became a Christian. Integrity leads to security, which leads to influence. That's what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount when he told you that you are a city on a hill. Right before that, he told you how you become 
a city on a hill. In the Sermon on the Mount, the, the Beatitudes come right before that. In Matthew 5, 3, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's people who see how spiritually bankrupt they are without Christ. Blessed are those who mourn. The people who mourn over their sin. Blessed are the humble. The people who look beyond themselves. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. People who want to be holy. People who want to have integrity. Blessed are the merciful. People who want to swim in God's mercy and then extend God's mercy. And what happens when you're pursuing all of those things? Then Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The kingdom of heaven is yours. In other words, you receive Jesus. You receive his righteousness and integrity. You receive his security. You don't need the approval of this world. You've got the approval of God. You don't need the riches of this world. You've got the riches of Christ. And so that's what makes you shine like a city on a hill. That's what makes you an influence in the world. Integrity leads to security, which leads to influence. So pursue integrity. And then number two, speak life. Speak life. Like it said in verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. You have righteousness in Christ. You have new life in Christ. And so now you can speak life into the lives of the people around you. The, the living water of the gospel should just naturally flow into the conversations that you have with the people around you. The problem is, with most Christians, it just doesn't. At least not naturally. Not naturally. You can talk about sports and news and like memes. You can talk about that new restaurant. You can talk about that celebrity gossip and you're perfectly comfortable talking about all those things. But then when it comes to talking about Jesus, for some reason, you get all stressed. Your, your chest starts pounding. Your, your hands get all clammy. And you're trying to be a fountain of life, but for some reason, you just turn all cold and dead when you start talking about Jesus. You, you start speaking in Christianese. Isn't that what you do? The, the Lord just laid it on my heart to speak to you right now. But my family just wants to love on you right now. I, I just want to pray for a hedge of protection on you right now. What are you doing? Come on. What, what, when you were talking about the stock market a few, few minutes ago, you're all comfortable and relaxed. And then when you started talking about God, why did you get all nervous and stressed and weird. Stop being weird, okay? Because here's the reality. You're already weird because of what you believe. You're already weird because of what you believe, right? What the Bible says about Jesus being the only way to the Father, the only way to salvation, the only way to heaven, yeah, our culture thinks that is really, really weird. What the Bible teaches about sexuality, yeah, our culture thinks that's really weird. What the Bible says about the roles of men and women in the, the family, our culture thinks that's weird. So, guys, your friends already think that you're weird, already. Best case scenario, they think you're just like behind the times and out of touch. Worst case scenario, they think you are an intolerant bigot. I guarantee you, if your friends know that you are a Christian, they already think you're weird. So don't add to the weirdness by the way you talk, okay? 
just chill. Chill. Because here's the reality. All you're doing is planting a seed and watering it. It's on God to make that plant grow. That's not on you. It's on God to make the plant grow. So stay relaxed and, and just speak life. Look for natural ways in your conversation to bring up God's goodness. When they say, man, that was awesome what happened. All you have to say is, yeah, praise God. Or, or just, man, yeah, that was awesome how God did that. Really easy, natural ways to just speak life. There's easy ways to talk about your sinfulness and your own fallenness and then how God showed his grace in spite of your sinfulness. Speak life. And then, number three, offer love. Offer love. Like it says in verse 12, hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all offenses. And that's the key right there. The key to being a true influencer is love. That's how you change the world. One person at a time. So if you don't really deeply love the people that God's put in your life, you're not going to pursue spiritually significant relationships with them. It's too hard. It takes too much time. You're going to be wading into the mess of people's lives, and, and it's not going to be easy. So ask yourself, do I deeply love the people that God's put in my life? Or do I just kind of put up with them? Here's one way to grow in your love for people who don't have Jesus. Remember what your life was like before you had Jesus. Just remember that. I really like how one pastor said it. Remember what it was like to lay your head on the pillow at night and wonder about life. Remember what it was like to numb yourself by keeping yourself busy. Remember how you distracted yourself with good activities like hard work or damaging pursuits like intoxication. Remember how you filled the void with material things like fast cars, real estate, or entertainment. Remember what it was like to think about not knowing what awaits you after death. Remember what it was like not to have any ultimate purpose or to feel the endless disappointment of the things of this world. Remember knowing down deep that you were made for something great, but feeling the pointless, mundane, senseless repetition of life. When you remember what life was like without Jesus, it's going to stoke a deep love for the people in your life who don't have Jesus. And that kind of love, that's going to lead to some radical generosity. You're going to be way more generous with your time. Like Jesus was generous with his time. When your laziness tempts you to just want to crash on the sofa with a bag of chips and watch the game, Love is what's going to drive you to get up and go to that thing that your friend invited you to that you don't really want to go to but seems kind of important to them. When your selfishness tempts you to see that number and let it go to voicemail, love is going to drive you to answer the call and spend two hours on the phone. Love is going to make you so generous with your time and with your resources. Like Matthew, he was generous with his resources. He was hosting parties at his house to introduce people to Jesus. That's what he was doing. Man, you want to know the best way to invest your money? There it is right there. Use your money to introduce people to Jesus. 
I tell people all the time, invite your friend to church, then take them to Merriman's for lunch. What a great investment of your money. If your friend invited you to church today, tell them that's where you expect to go to lunch. Merriman's for lunch, and then High Steakhouse for dinner, all right? Tell them the pastor said it. The pastor said it. That's what love does. It makes you generous with your resources. Tell them the pastor said that too, all right? Love makes you generous. Love is what makes you a fountain of life. Or or like it says in Proverbs 11, a tree of life. Love that image too. If you pursue integrity and speak life and offer love, then the Proverbs say there's going to be a tree that grows up out of your life a family tree, a family tree with spiritual sons and daughters and then spiritual grandkids and then eventually spiritually great-grandkids who all receive life through Jesus Christ. So guys, that's how we change the world right there. That's how we become influencers. Everybody wants to change the world Everybody wants to have an influence. Everybody wants to leave a legacy. Everybody wants to build a platform. Guess what? This is how you build a platform that lasts. This is how you build a platform that matters. It happens one life at a time. One person at a time. So who is that one person? Who is that one person in your life right now? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that your son came to pursue relationships with messy, messy people like us. That your son wasn't uncomfortable around messy people, wasn't disgusted by messy people. And that's why we've been given new life. Thank you for the way that Jesus forgave our mess through his death on the cross and then took away our mess through his resurrection from the grave and now transforms our mess more and more every day through his loving reign. Thank you for all that we have in Jesus. So now, Lord, don't let us just enjoy something selfishly without being willing to share it with the people, the messy people that you've put in our lives. Compel us, Lord, to have the same deep, deep love for the people that you've put in our lives as Jesus did and Jesus does. Compel us to pursue spiritually significant relationships that aren't weird, but aren't just chilling out and accomplishing nothing. Help us to pray for our friends, serve our friends, encourage our friends, challenge our friends so that they can receive the same riches in Christ that we have. I pray all of this by the love and compassion and authority of Jesus. Amen.